This podcast contains mature language. Everyone's been, all the writer friends and all the talk has been like, oh, now more than ever, like, we need these voices. Now more than ever. It's like, no. We've always been writing, you've just been reading the white shit more. This week on Office Hours, we sat down with Russell Price, a poet and professor in the English department whose work focuses on the intersections of gender, class, and race from their perspective as a Southern queer writer. In the midst of the current political climate, we wanted to discuss the role of poetry as both a political tool and expression of identity. According to Price, a poet's identity is constructed through their relationship to language as a part of their own unique experience. If you are um, a bilingual writer, then your approach is completely different than a native speaker. And I think that is a really interesting way of forming your own identity within poetics, especially with the decision of using, say, like, low-class um, Mo- like images like I write about Kesha and like going to crazy parties and then I also like tie it into like weird philosophical ideas so it's this really fun way of, of creating your own identity with the things that you have you've always been speaking you've always been writing you're using what you have mastered in your own life to sort of produce something worthwhile and I think there's a real challenge of either being truly authentic to yourself or having the idea of like oh, I want to write something that speaks to so many people. I'm not here for that. Like, you know, my work isn't going to be appreciated by a straight, cis, heterosexual male in the same way it might speak to a person of queer or trans identity. It'll have a different um, effect. Though poetry is most commonly consumed in written form, spoken word poetry is a far more interactive and immersive experience between a poet and their audience. In fact, slam poetry originated in Chicago's Green Mill Cocktail Lounge in 1986. Price explained to us the difference between these forms of poetry and how a poem can be performed to fit the audience. So written poetry is, of course, just to be consumed from the page. So you have just, like, the title, the author, and then the text. Mm -hmm. But with slam and performance poetry, it's a combination of performance studies of, like, I do audience interaction during my work, so people, like, making noises and screaming stuff, and it becomes more of a collective experience. And I think with slam and performance, it's not just, oh, I'm consuming that poem that this person has put up there, but I'm also seeing the speaker in their entirety. It's not hidden behind, like, a book. Like, you are up there on the stage telling your stuff, and they're going to have to listen to it. My background is drama, so I always write with voice and intention in mind most of the time, and understanding, like, this poem can can technically look amazing on the page, but hearing it comes off completely different because the line breaks are absent or the pauses are different or even, like, I sing sometimes in my work or, like, do weird sound effects, so it becomes this a very different experience. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing a reading and the audience is kind of, like, low energy, then, like, I'm going to up the ante. Or if I'm... I usually, like, feel like a stand-up comic during my readings because, like, I'll make, like, little snide jokes, like, before I read a poem, like, oh, God, this one's about the apocalypse. Like, it's an upper, don't worry. Chicago is a hotbed of poets and writers and provides the backdrop for many of the experiences which these poets draw from in their work. We asked Price to reflect on how Chicago has impacted their writing and to tell us a little bit more about the community of the city's poets. So the Chicago scene is is pretty diverse, um, but it also has its issues of, um, I don't know, I face this a lot as a queer writer of being asked to be in a reading. It's like, oh, tokenization of the one queer voice. Or like if you're sitting on a panel, it's like, oh, we have the African-American poet, Latino poet, and then me, and then three white dudes. It's like, okay, how are we 
using diversity as an actual wonderful tool as opposed to a cop-out of, like, not coming off, like, whitewashed. Um, and the scene is getting better about that. Um, but a lot of people are doing ha- uh, readings in houses or apartments rather than doing a bar scene to sort of change the atmosphere. Um, Chicago is influenced by work crazy amounts. Like, I'm used to writing about woods and cows and stuff and now I'm writing about cool bars and like being introduced to different voices is really astounding like Marty McConnell, Andy Carroll uh, so many wonderful slam poets that are doing different things within the community and really like taking on really troubling topics. So can poetry go beyond personal expression into the sphere of political thought or dissent? We asked Professor Price their opinion. Poetry has always been political I mean, it's always been, whether it's been, uh, you know, a product of upper class where you've had the privilege of being able to just sit and write all day and not really have to contribute to society in a way, and then moving forward into really rebellious writing of, you know, Ginsburg and the Beats and some of those writers who saw the capital P of poetry as it's just not important anymore for society. Like, that's not going to solve anything. It's not going to open anyone's perspective and so like poetry now especially with internet and technology and things going viral there's like a way stronger urge of like not only producing something that is timely and important but that is shared Mm -hmm. um so now it's kind of really important to just like crank it out and get it out I think if you choose to interact with politics within your writing or whether you decide not to that's just as much of a political act Following the 2016 presidential election, Price says that there has been more of a push to hear from marginalized voices, but the demand for diversity should have come before an election that made many people feel targeted or even endangered. Ever since the election and the inauguration, everyone's been, all the writer friends and all the talk has been like, oh, now more than ever, like, we need these voices. And it's kind of like, no, we've always been here. The marginalized voices have always been producing. It's just now when our rights are under attack or when our livelihoods are under attack, that's when it's like, oh, now I'll buy your book. And I think that's something to keep in mind, like, as students and, like, looking at your syllabus, like, what voices are represented? Like, how insane is it that we have maybe a Western-centric view of, of this writing in this class as opposed to, like, interacting with other voices? And I think people are maybe now finally getting their heads out of their asses and realizing, like, oh, we need to actually show that there's a lot of different voices, Mm -hmm. Um, not just because there's some racist shit happening. Like, it needs to have already been happening, and it kind of feels disingenuous for Mm -hmm. people to be like, oh, now more than ever. It's like, no. We've always been writing, you've just been reading the white shit more. So I think a, a lot of political work has the tendency to either uh, live within anger or within sadness so much, rather than maybe using joy or hope as a way of countering the darkness. We ended the interview with a poem about hope. And so this poem is called Good Bones by Maggie Smith, and it went viral right after the Pulse shootings, and uh, it's got a lot of press for very good reasons. So she's an Ohio poet. Life is short, though I keep this for my children. Life is short, and I've shortened mine in a thousand delicious, ill-advised ways, a thousand deliciously ill-advised ways I keep for my children. This world is at least 50% terrible, and that's a conservative estimate, though I keep this for my children. For every bird, there is a stone thrown at a bird. 
For every loved child, a child broken, bagged, sunk in a lake, life is short, and the world is at least half terrible, and for every kind stranger, there is one who would break you, though I keep this for my children. I'm trying to sell them the world. Any decent realtor, realtor walking you through a real shithole chirps on about good bones. This place could be beautiful, right? You can make this place beautiful. Price's first book, Tonight We Fuck the Trailer Park Out of Each Other, was released in June of 2016, and they currently have another book in the works. Thanks for listening to Office Hours. I'm Rachel Silverstein. Erica Snow is replacing Isabel Robertson as my producer, 